We crossed all the rivers. We used to a song that had one more river to cross, and uh, made it very difficult at times getting across these rivers. Welcome to Courage and Valour, New Zealanders in the Italian Campaign in World War II. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. Episode 8, The Adriatic. Following the fall of Florence and the breaching of the Gothic Line, the 2nd New Zealand Division was pulled out of the lines for a short rest at Empoli, to regroup, catch their breath after the hard-fought battle south of Florence, and to re-equip. Soon, however, they would be heading back to the battle zone and this time the fight was back across on the Adriatic coast, the eastern side of Italy. This meant that the entire division had to convoy once again back across the Apennine mountain range that runs up the centre of Italy. Gordon Briggs' trip across the mountains were more eventful than most. Yeah, that was from, from uh, we were going back to the Adriatic, yeah, yeah, up from Florence, from a place called Empoli. That's the south of Florence. We went from there across to the Adriatic again. And I was in the back of an ammunition truck. This is when I came. I can't remember when it, where it was. Anyhow, rather than uh, riding a, uh, a three-tonner with a whole lot of other blokes, I grabbed my, my bed roll and put it on top of the, the ammunition and this ammunition truck. It was a three-tonner too and we crossed the Arpenians at night and the silly bugger of the driver t went over the bank and uh, two of us, and there was another guy sleeping on top too with me we were sound asleep and, we, and the truck went over the bank and we were underneath all this up ammunition Gordon ended up back in the New Zealand General Hospital again while the rest of the division joined the Canadian Corps in early September 1944. At this time they took on many reinforcements in the preparation to attack the German-held town of Rimini. Ned Nolan was a newly arrived reinforcement. He would join 22 Battalion's intelligence section. We were in, in Bari and then to join the unit they, they didn't uh, use our transport on the roads too much in the daylight. But so we we uh, embarked on a Norwegian cattle boat in, in a place called Brindisi and went from Brindisi to Ancona in this this little boat and we were told it was a Norwegian cattle boat. And we were escorted by five PT boats and uh, as it was quite rough they uh, they got a, the the navy boys got a, got a pretty rough ride, and then something they must have heard something, and they all took off, and we didn't see them again. They didn't go over the waves; they went through them, were airborne, <laughs> and that's the last we saw them. We did, disembarked, and uh, at that stage, they had asked us uh, where we came from when we when we arrived. 
in, and joined a 2-2 battalion, they asked us where we came from. So everybody said, what Taranaki there? And I had, I came from Manwa too, but I had two friends and uh, and so, and they lived in Hawke's Bay. So I, uh, I said I came from Hawke's Bay. And like Ned, Nolan Rehanio was a new reinforcement from New Zealand. He would go on to join 28 Māori Battalion. And uh, still this war that was they reckon was finished anyway, those were some of the stories they were telling us on our way over. We used to have uh, the officers of Bilgara was one, he eventually went back over with us after coming back badly wounded. Yeah, he was our officer that went back with us. And they were saying, oh, the war was only way nearly at an end, you fellas only going for a good holiday. And, okay, let's see about that. So after our uh, further training in, uh, in the desert there, in, uh, okay, we were shipped over to Bari in Italy and into camp there. And of course, we different ones were, were selected to go forward. There were too many of us to go forward one hit. Uh, they don't want a lot of new chumps going, getting, arriving on the scene. <laughs> so I was in the first lot that went forward. He yeah, took us forward. Well, that's when we joined, uh, we eventually joined the battalion. So we caught up with them. I can't remember the names of the places now. After, um, no, I can't remember. But anyway, we got, we were only in the, in the front line for um, oh, a week or a fortnight, and it was time for the battalion to pull back for you know, for a spell. Someone else take over the front line. For a, not only for a spell, but for reorganising, they fill up the gaps. You know, the ones that have. Uh, were killed or wounded, and, and of course some more reinforcements came up. And uh, yeah, more training at the back, you know, behind the lines. And after that, of course, uh, we were ready to go forward again. Oh, one one story I haven't told about from there. Word got around that I'm just I've just finished school. Someone told someone. And we decided, oh, I should be kept back and work in the orderly truck, the orderly room where all the records were kept for C Company. Because one of the fellas that went over, he, he shouldn't have gone over. There's some strings pulled, and uh, there were two of them. They were, they were too old to the other frontline duties. But he'd come from an office job, and oh, he knew about this that I'd just finished school and got my matric and that sort of thing. I said, oh, there's a good young fellow there, and he's just the ideal to work in the, look after the, 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 you know, everything there in the orderly room. So anyway, back in this, I was still of the, you know, the stories that were told when I was at school that I'd heard. So anyway, I was kept back, the others went forward, and, and I did go to this blooming orderly room, and yeah, it was this fellow, uh, Peter Cole was his name. I'm all right, son. Is your duty? Is every morning you come, you sweep out truck hut and is a duster. You dust around and 
was a bucket. I didn't come here to bloody wield a duster, wield a bloody broom. I came here to bloody fight. <laughs> uh, not knowing anything about it. No, no, no. You're under orders in the army, you're under orders. So, yeah, okay. First morning, I'm a, uh, I grabbed the broom and gave it a rough sweeping. There was a bin there still full of dust and stuff from the day before. I accidentally kicked it and on the way past, uh, accidentally on purpose. And, uh, just uh, flung things around. So I think he told uh, John Major, he wasn't the Major then, and uh, oh, John came along as he, he understood. He said, hey, son, don't you want to be here? You know, it's pretty rough up there. Nah, no, I don't want to bloody be here. I want to join up the race. He said, oh, well, if you want to get killed early, pack your bloody swag and catch the first truck up. <laughs> so John, well, he's a nice, quiet, peaceful guy, you know, he, he didn't do what he should have done and that kicked me in the, in the way, way you know. Another new reinforcement for 28 Māori Battalion was Te Pui Patara. When we got to the front line, uh, the officer, the battalion, commander sent each group to a certain platoon. There were three platoons. Uh, I was with uh, number 11 and the Rotorua guys number 10 platoon and the Fukatani guys uh, 12th platoon. Well, they sent us to the headquarters of the 11th platoon and there were three of us. Uh, two Tawera, which from Ruatuk, and uh, Morris Toitoi, he was from Muruparaway. And uh, well, me, well, I was from Makatu, you know. Anyway, they sent me, sent us to this uh, living platoon, uh, what do you call it, uh, officer, I suppose, to you. It was a tent, hey. Then the officer was in there with uh, uh, Rocky Micah from Fakati, whatever, in a and his sergeant was a uh, spider uh, wikidipi, also from Pokadewanu. And this Morris, Toy Toy, was a tall guy and was looked fairer than you. And uh, anyway, he had stooped down to <laughs> to the tent and the officer sort of looked at him and I being white I suppose and, uh, and this officer said I think you're in the wrong crowd uh, you know 
in his uh, Twitter. He spoke in Maori, answered him back in Maori. That means, well, I, I thought this is uh, number 11 platoon. <laughs> but he spoke in Maori, eh? And, uh, and the officer, well, his eyes just. <laughs> he sort of got afraid. <laughs> Oh, oh, come in, come in. <laughs> That's what he says. Come in, come in. <laughs> Me and my mate were laughing. <laughs> anyway, we ended up uh, as friends. <laughs> yeah. The new member to the division was Don Adams, who had just joined 21 Battalion around the fall of Florence. Don remembers his first action. Well, at, at this uh, remedy, I suppose, it would be the first time we got into real heavy, heavy fighting. And from then on, we would had, had quite a bit of a scrap there. Very frightening. Harry Shirley had also just joined 21 Battalion. My first day in action was at Rimini. So. Oh dear. That's where it's very sad from then on to see your mates getting bullied. First time I ever saw a dead person and to see him beside you while the bullet through the head was so sad. Wasn't used to blooming shells blowing around, you know. You know, give you the. Well, a man got frightened, you know. Yeah. If a man say he wasn't frightened, well, he's lying. Yeah. Another new member of 21 Battalion was Ted Waters, who remembers the approach to Rimini. Oh, this is a joke. We got to um, Ten Fortune Ridge, which runs from Rimini into the um, and uh, we had to take uh, the San Fortunato Ridge and, uh, and get into the Po Valley. We, uh, I was actually, bat uh, my uh, battalion wireless operator at that stage, and we got up to, uh, and we, uh, it was a hell of a mix. We got to, uh, uh, what's the name? We got told that uh, the uh, Canadians were doing the attack, and if I uh, if I succeeded, we would uh, go through them next next day into the Po Valley. So anyway, we got uh, uh, we got uh, there and we got uh, held up because the Germans were straight up ahead of us. The Canadians, they lost, I would say, hundreds in, from uh, tanks. And uh, so anyway, when we got over, uh, we actually got told that 
they, we were to pull back. But then we got a counter command to say that we would, uh, that the Germans had been told to pull back. So we were to countermand our original order and we got down to the railway line on the West Highway. And uh, the Canadians told us that they'd had patrols out for 400 yards and there was no enemy. Whew. Anyway, we get, what's the name, and we got told to take the, uh, the embankment on the railway and Germans opened up with everything. Anyway, we got, uh, uh, we finally uh, got some tanks in them uh, on the either end of the railway and uh, they cleaned them out. We were still behind moving forward, that's on foot by then. We were on out on the trucks on the way up and then we were, we were debussed. And so I followed this other bloke, uh, he's from home too, uh, Forrester. And uh, I make sure to follow him. Whatever he does, I'll do because he's the he'd, he had been wounded and he's going back into the front line again. Yeah, and all these blooming bangs and he's a fight with everyone. It's our own guns, unbeknown to me. You know the big guns at the back, sending over there shells. You know, shelling like they do. Bang! Of course the Germans were sending over theirs and head would bang. It's a different bang. Well, I didn't know the difference. So uh, when, that, when the big bang goes from here, you know, Saki didn't do anything, he just kept going forward, you know, just keeping an eye out. And so I'm right behind him. Then there was another bang. You could tell eventually by the whistle of the bloody shell, it's going to land near or further afield. Bang, it went in, it wasn't very far from us. He dived and I said, where, 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 where are they? I thought he died because he could saw and seen some Germans, but it was the shell that landed nearby, you know. He said, you know, he said in uh, different languages, that, that was a shell, man. One landing right next to us. So any bang that went after that, I was into the bloody drain. <laughs> and still keep following, though. Yeah, just little experiences like that. I tried to change my mind a bit. But however, yeah. <laughs> Nothing ventured, nothing gained, carried on, uh, till we reached the front. Ted, Bluey Homewood, remembers the other side of the reinforcements coming in, as a more experienced member, having to look after the new men. It take you a while to get used to fellas, you know, and if, you, if you're in, in the line, if you, well, I'll just say, if you're one of the older fellas and you're senior, you've got enough to really worry about, right? you know, because they, they rely on you, you know, well, someone relied on me when I first went there. Relied, I relied on them, you know. So you, you sort of train the fellas, you know, and if they're good fellas, they'll learn. Oh, we had another fellow turned up. He was just like, looked like, uh, like uh, one of those cowboy actors. Uh, uh, Pete Lane, he come from, come from uh, Topra North. He's a long fellow. Oh, a nice guy, eh? And uh, uh, I just sort of took to him, you know, and laughed. He, I'll tell you what, if he'd have stayed there, I reckon he'd have gone docked too. That's what I thought of him, you know. And uh, 
we went out on a patrol because we went out to sort the Murray Battalion out. We didn't know it was there. Like if you were attacking up this road and I was supposed to attack up the other, the other might be down there on the plonk or, or, or in Russell. You didn't know where they're going to be. You had to find out, you know. And so we went out on patrol and I took Pete, you know, with me. Laugh, we're going down this road and doing that nice and quiet. And I was leading and he's back about 40 yards or so. And uh, I go down the road and then I, I wanted him to catch up, you know, and to talk. When we were, when we were talking, you know, we, you talk under your breath, you know, we're talking. Next thing, in the dark, there's another fellow there. And he had the wrong sort of hat on, you know. And he'd come out of this house. Uh, and did you see, he must have thought we were a couple of early Jerry's, you know. And old Pete, being a big fella, gave him a push and he fell backwards, you know. And he had heisen, scheisen, and, you know, he gave us all the Germans out. And we backed down the road like hell. And they, they watered the hell out of us down the road. But anyway, old Pete, you know, I said, oh, <laughs> we found out that fella, you know, because I, I, I tell him to, yeah, to go slow and, you know, go, okay. I don't know what the hell I'd have done. Although I would have ripped my tommy gun into him or something. But he, Pete dealt with him anyway. He gave him a bloody push and he went flying backwards. He told all the world about it too. <laughs> old Pete. Anyway... Anyway, we were doing this another daylight attack and we got into this casa and uh, old Jerry's, Murray's doing something and then there was nothing in there so this was all shelled upstairs, shelled and uh, old Pete's going to climb up these stairs, see. I said, now don't go up there, Pete. Don't go up there. That's the bloody worst thing in the bloody world. Go up there, you know. I said, now, don't go up there. He went on up the stairs and he only got, oh, about three parts up, where I was just over halfway, only got up about that high and bloody shell come and he copped a lot and fell back in my arms, eh? Oh, hell. He got killed, eh? Yeah. Yeah, and a bucket of hadn't have gone up there, he'd been all right. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy, eh? Yeah, I said, don't go up there, Pete. And I was I was standing down here. We we, we could sort things out and, and this bloody shell. That old Jerry was still shelling the bloody shelling the bloody building and that. He went up there, eh, and he cocked it, eh? Oh, that's right. He was a good guy. I thought he was a good guy. He just, he hadn't been there very long neither then. But he is a fine looking guy too, you know. A good guy. He was keen to learn and all that, you know. But he wanted to go up there. I said, don't go up there, Pete, I told him. And a bucket went up there. He didn't, got, didn't get to the top and one landed right up the top in the front of him. He cocked a lot, eh? Harry Hopping had previously had several close escapes during various battles through Italy. Yeah, well, that was one of my other seven lives was, was, was uh, I don't know whether it was Stuka or whatever it was, but it was night time. I was driving a jeep, and it was up by Rimini. And uh, the sergeant of the platoon, was with me. We were going out to lay lines, and we were going down the road, and the sod come out of the sky, and you could see the bullets landing in front of us, you mm -hmm. know. 
it must have been able to see us because they had those artificial lights. Oh, yeah. yeah then, and uh, the side chased us up the road and I grabbed the wheel and chucked it into the road and we took off. That was one of my other seven lights. <laughs> I thought he had us that night, that joker. <laughs> Bryn Hughes of 22 Battalion. And myself and three other boys were selected to go down onto a river through a metal road and we see if it's possible for our vehicles or us ourselves as well and uh, we passed a little old shack on top of the hill and that had been blown to bits or partly anyway. Oh that was the one. Yeah, it had been chilled and we got a job before we went down to the river a day or two before because of some boys caught in there and they were smothered, you know, covered with the debris and we had to shift stone after block after block to get them out. I think it was about eight or nine. That would be equivalent to a section of men. And, uh, yeah, that was a bit heart-rending, digging up your own mates. So then we moved on down the hill and uh, got to this house at the bottom and we struck mortar fires which you know sort of traverse high and come down not going a long ways like a shell does and uh, or a tank shell and uh, we had a block wall alleyway up to the doorway on our left hand side I can remember and if one had dropped in there and cleaned us up too. But the house was locked up and uh, we tried to force it open, you know, going at it with our shoulders. And that's when I, well, I didn't know at the time until the next morning that I'd buggered my arm, elbow, excuse the language, and use it. Uh, and uh, after a few days, I could hardly use it, so they, sent me out and the medical team had a look at it and to the hospital at Senegalia was the second general hospital I think and I was there for a few days waiting for uh, transfer down to Bari. We didn't actually go into Rimini, we, uh, as I say, Rimini was there and San Fortunato went up. But we we had to do, take San Fortunato Ridge, not Rimini. We uh, by well we actually went round uh, once we got to Osnome. We had uh, we had uh, the Germans and Rimini surrounded. We were on the uh, left hand side of Route 16, and uh, we had uh, different. Uh, Word strike German pockets and uh, all the rest of it, and uh, it it was uh, you had to have that little joker on your shoulder, like uh, Spud Murphy was my uh, uh, corporal, and we got to this big casa, and 
uh, we decided that Spud Murphy and I would go into the West Ham, go upstairs and see if we could get some of the machine gun pockets. So we go in and we go up the stairs, go into this room facing the Germans and Spud said to me, uh, I'll take the left hand side, you take the right. He went across the window, boom. So anyway, we, uh, but I picked up where the, the nest was. There was three Germans with a uh, um, machine gun and they had, they were silly. They had uh, like, they were there and um, with like there and but this was a uh, scrubbity bush sort of thing. So we went up on the on the right on the left hand side. They were on the right hand side of it, and uh, cleaned them out with uh, grenades. We did the Rimini up to Rimini. We we're in a base there. We we're quite near a uh, American um, Air Force there. They used to have, bring the planes in there to get fixed up and we got to know a few Americans there. One day one of the Yanks said to us, how would you like to come for a flight? I uh, said to myself and two other chaps, boy yeah, this would be great. You know, go for a flight in an aeroplane. Never been a young 22 year old going for a flight in an aeroplane. He said it would be great. Never actually seen one hardly. And uh, so why we go there, he said, oh, I'll be down there, Air Force Base, and, and away we'll go. So we get down there, and he said, oh, I'm sorry about that. He said, he said, I can only take two. And the other two, they wanted to go. I said, oh, well, I won't go. So I, so I went back to camp. That plane never ever come back again. <coughs> so we lost a couple of jokers there. So that was another, another life I'd lost. That was one, two, three. I'm just about out to the nine, nine <laughs> cat's lives now. Fred Priest of 28 Murray Battalion remembers how the New Zealanders always seem to get the toughest opposition. We seem to get uh, tough fighting, tough fighting. Uh, always looking for, oh, where are those troops we're supposed to be fighting? I knew when I first went into in the front line, the Major Pung said to me, you'll have an easy ride because uh, I always remember him saying, the Turkoman division, they're constructed uh, men, they'll chuck it in, so it was good. Said that the bloody tanks were waiting, why? They had cut the road, we had to, to, we had to rush through every, the Germans were right on time. Everything's under time. And within, say, so many seconds, there'd be five shells to drop on the road. And then they'd have that gap, you had to get through. They then, another set of shells. They were on time. And uh, so, so, so they, were, they were very methodical. And then we just carried on, fight, fought right up to Forley. Once the Allies had taken Rimini, they moved on to Forley. Charlie Honeycomb was with 21 Battalion, who entered the town. In Forley? Little place called Forley. We went into there, that was on the Senior River, Forley, and uh, we walked into the square 
at night time and an Italian lady told us, go away, go away, the Germans are still in there. Anyhow, next day she came back to us and says, come on now, the Germans are gone. So we went back again. Yeah. And uh, they had uh, uh, four people that were supporters of the German and the partisans had cut their breasts off, cut their thing off, and strapped them up by the feet, hung them up on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. But that was that lady. Yeah, she was good to us. Yeah. Yeah. Niente, niente, niente. She's going like this. So we took off. And then next day, she comes down to us next day and says, the Germans, come on. Well, we went in. That's what we saw. Yeah. Norm Harris recalls an incident that happened whilst they were heading north. As we got up into the north, uh, so uh, some of those facets, facets weren't very kindly disposed toward us. I think I heard a voice in the crowd one day of people say, you'll pay for this one day, you Kiwi buggers. Uh, I think what had happened, if I remember right, we were travelling on a very busy main road. I was travelling in the back of a 1500 weight vehicle and uh, the truck nudged the arse of a, uh, of a horse, and, uh, of a cart, and it tipped the horse, it was a stallion too, that horse, uh, it tipped the old stallion into the canal alongside, uh, and, the, and the cart went with him. Uh, so anyway, we stopped, there was only about five of us. The doctor was one of them. Was, uh, the Aitai in this cart, I think he had three children with him. And they got tipped out, of course, and they got minor injuries. They were bleeding noses and that sort of thing a bit. And uh, a, bit, uh, a bit unhappy. So anyway, we, uh, uh, the doctor attended to them. So I thought I'd better do something useful. I, I was a cocky, get the old stallion out of the bloody train. It was only that he was pulling such a long face that his nose was above the water level, I reckon. Uh, and anyway, we... Uh, uh, there was a GMC had stopped just beside me, and they had a winch on the front of it, you see. Mm -hmm. So I took the hook off, and the joker let the rope out, and... Uh, and I pulled out the, uh, I don't know whether it was the horse first or the, or the cart, I don't remember, because I had to cut some of the harness. No, the Italian objected to that. And I told him it would be replaced. I hope it was. <laughs> we were advancing, pushing the Germans back. And they moved back and then they'll dig in again. And then we got to attack that kind of thing. Yeah. So eventually I'd, I'd, I was one of the ones that went right through from Toronto to Trieste. We went up through uh, Forley and Fainza. The stupid part of it was, 
that we were to get to clean up and swing round and uh, pocket the Germans and uh, the tanks were going to come through and get the Americans out of the mountains before the weather broke. Hmm. Good thinking, good thinking. Anyway, what happened? We had the tanks, but they didn't have the benzene. When winter came, well, snow away, everything stopped. By the time we got to the front, uh, it, was, it got into their winter by then, and it was snowed, and mud, and you know, the trucks and uh, tanks and that. To, oh, they just turned everything into mud with the snow and the rain and that. You used to see the trucks coming down the road and the tanks. Uh, it'd be the ice be on the roads, and they'd try to stop, and they'd just keep slithering down the street. Uh, we used to use that to put the chains on our trucks uh, if we were going out. It was winter time, and we, we were in a in a uh, sort of holding position by the uh, Senior River, and. Uh, it was too wet, you know, too wet, too cold, too too much snow. So uh, they were. We had the Germans on one side of the senior, and we were on the other. And I suppose we were both all waiting for the weather to 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 get a bit better. And of course, it was a sort of mutual agreement without even without. Uh, uh, talking to each other or sending notes or anything that, you know, they can't uh, uh, progress and we can't progress. So there just happened to be a, a well, a hefty drain, a pretty big drain. They call it the river, Senior River there. So it was decided it was a, there was a big bank on either side, stop banks, flood banks. And they stopped on the other side, and we stopped on this side. All the bridges were blown up, and we couldn't cross. So there was our winter. I think we wintered there. You couldn't use your tanks, and and your, your vehicles got stuck in the snow, and so they weren't weren't much use to us. The division soon settled in in its sector along the banks of the Senio River, with headquarters and rest areas and other supporting positions in Fayenza and Forley. When not on patrol, the men would live in requisitioned Italian homes and other buildings. We actually had a, uh, a house. Uh, it was a big place. It was a huge place. It was a, uh, like a farm, a farm headquarters. And they had not only just the one big house, but they had a lot of uh, bits and pieces all around the place. We, uh, we, we actually had a well set up because we could, uh, they had plenty of dry wood and we could light a fire without smoke and uh, I wasn't a bad cook so uh, anyway uh, mum had sent me some flour and um, I had some uh, uh, um, uh, Andrew's liver salts. So I mixed up some, um, some, uh, what's the name of the wind, uh, uh, and, and 
put the spam in and cook the worst nightmare. We were like living like kinks. <laughs> I think at uh, 40, I think we had our Christmas there, 19, would be 1944, had a Christmas there. Uh, we had a padre there, it was a fairly hard thing. Of course, the cigs, are, being signals, uh, they were fairly hard. Uh, they were boisterous sort of crowd. They used to get into all sorts of mischief. So they used to, we used to have Christmas carols there, and, and uh, they thought they'd play a trick on the padre. So they they set up a telephone battery on the on the door of the house, and they'd invite the padre to come in. And as the padre come in, the joker on the telephone and gave it telephone a ring. Of course, he got the padre got a shot. <laughs> And uh, uh, they sang a song for him and said it was recorded and it wasn't at all. He thought it was quite good, the Padre. Actually, in the wintertime, it was quite good. I, I hadn't very, didn't have very much to do, so I set myself up a still. And I used to boil up the wine and catch the stuff at the other end, which was just about pure alcohol. I'd add a bit of uh, juice or something like that, and we used to give it to the boys to drink. But the worst of it was that I had to keep tasting it to see that it wasn't too strong. But at the end of each day, you know what Harry was like. So <laughs> this carried on right through the winter. But, uh, you know, an infantry unit needs the, the uh, uh, trucks as well <laughs> to keep up with food and everything else. Sometimes uh, the jeeps that bring our tucker can't reach us. Well, we had to cook our own, you know, look around for tucker, cook it, you know, and we share it with our park, our friends, soldiers. Yeah, he had plenty of chicken, pigs, and they just running around. No, no Italians there, you know, they got to, they've moved out, you see. Yeah. And there's chickens everywhere, and just help yourself. <laughs> well, actually, like, they had, um, like, the river running through here, and the stopbacks would have been as high as a ceiling. And, of course, uh, we uh, we were dug into the, this side, and the Germans were dug in, and you could actually hear them at night time, uh, like convoys bursting, and um, uh, so. Uh, but the ground, uh, like the, uh, it was in the like in the middle of the Po Valley, virtually, and the. Uh, the ground, like, was all countryside, uh, and uh, we, uh, like, when we got to the CDO, uh, uh, we could see the Germans on the other side at that stage, and uh, uh, but uh, we had fun and games there because we uh, <laughs> we um, could see them digging in on the other side, so. Anyway, uh, our my my wireless was the only one that could connect with battalion. I could hear everyone, but they couldn't get through to battalion. 
So anyway, uh, our officer said, uh, see if you can get the um, them to put some um, mortars into the uh, on the other side, and they did. They they kept what's name, but they'd disappear and same to them. Anyway, I said to the officer, why don't we get some twenty-five pounders in there? And uh, anyway, <laughs> I uh, got through to headquarters and I said, could you uh, arrange a few uh, 25 pounders in there? Because I said, they're not taking any notice of the mortars. Anyway, they uh, they put through a couple of what's name of them. Well, you could see the women bodies flying up in the air. Anyway, we got... Uh, 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 we had, uh, I had the, the uh, two other companies on the on the wireless saying, "Stop that stonk! Someone's going to get killed." We said, "Yeah, the Germans." <laughs> we had dugouts, three dugouts on the banks of the Senior River, and I was in one, and I was a lance corporal then, and my other. Uh, soldiers in the other two, and the the Germans put over a, a smoke screen. Next thing I heard screaming, and the Germans came over and took prisoners from the first and second dugout, and they never got me. So I was very lucky. We had standing patrols day and night, and. Uh, our, our colonel, he uh, was going out and to have a look what was going on and, and what, he walked into one of our uh, standing patrols and was sitting there and they opened fire on him and missed him and he got very angry about that because he said that they should have got him and, and but fortunately for him and for our boys too, they, they didn't. But then we, we came to, for, went out of the line, went to Fabriano and he insisted we have night attacks just about every night, uh, simulated night attacks so that we wouldn't miss anybody again. <laughs> we were there for, for a couple of weeks and and, uh, and then we went, went back. We had good telephone exchange equipment. And we had miles and miles of cable. Uh, like, for instance, when we got to uh, um, Faenza, I was with the uh, signal uh, sergeant on in the uh, jeep, and we were laying out these. Was the next thing, the fire brigade turned out. Faenza fire brigade. And they they turned around and they put all their lines up on the poles. <laughs> we, but we did. We had uh, we had actually um, very good uh, like communication through telephone. We uh, we when we were on the senio, uh, we had the stop bank there, and they had the stop bank. And, but we had to keep the stop bank um, 
connected to to the headquarters and um, um, the amount of times the because uh, he kept firing these bloody uh, grenades and uh, of course they broke the line. Anyway, this day we just we uh, we had a major. So anyway, we uh, I had to go with a uh, a uh, corporal from the uh, from the company, and uh, we got through and we um, connected everything up and decided that was it. So we were started heading for home. And next thing, these plumbing grenades started in. So anyway, the ground was as flat as this was then, but, but I, I, I got a little bit of a hollow. And I finished up, my battle dress was shredded and I never got a scratch. But um, we got, we, we, we won because we got, we got them all connected up before daylight. Um, but another one was when we went uh, the same same area. They uh, we had this, uh, uh, and uh, we were up and we were talking to the uh, uh, the uh, company ones. And uh, next thing we heard this woman coming down and we thought god this is going to be good anyway next thing we looked in the other direction and here was a spitfire so anyway we thought this is going to be funny next thing boom the oh, no, that bomber was my man he dropped his bombs on the uh, German side and took off he didn't last long no we didn't even know there was such a thing as religion off the side. When we, uh, the shells, had, just before we went over the river, had caught a, a, a German parson. And when I, uh, I said to the old, the old man, said, oh, we knew you were coming this morning. How do you know that? We got over the tanks, we got in there, the shells were just ahead of us. He said, oh, the German parson told me. I had no such thing as a German parson. Yes, he said, he's lying by the haystack. He was killed there. And I went and had a look, and I saw his book, uh, paper book, and, and uh, a photograph of he and his wife of each one. You know, I, I, you, you suddenly get realise, take stock of yourself then, and I thought, what a bloody animal man's becoming. See, I used to get excited. Excitement. It's a hell of a feeling. Whilst the use of the Maori language on the radios was an advantage to 28 Maori Battalion, in ensuring the Germans would not be able to listen and understand orders being given, Fred Priest discovered this was actually also working against the New Zealand Division, and this explained why Kiwis were always getting such tough opposition. We moved into our last big attack, uh, the Senior River. They said, well, look, uh, we're all striking these tough troops here ahead of us, uh, just average soldiers. And uh, we're going to we're going to relieve the 72nd Division, if I can remember rightly. 
uh, take all your patches off, all your identification patches off, so the public won't see us. It looks as though the public uh, are reporting us to the Germans, you see. It must be, they said, because we've all got these tough troops. That's what the Major said to me, Major McCray. I said, well, uh, all right. So I, uh, I had the front, there was two platoons sitting on the bank. And uh, each day, there were only 35 yards that throw these grenades over at us. And then, just back on the flood bank, there were two Austrian intelligence fellows there, sitting there. And uh, I'd report the maid each day, and then about four days after, I said, he fellows were packing their gear. I said, what are, you, what are you leaving so already, these intelligence men? I said, yes, they know you're in. I said, how did they know that? He said, you were speaking the Maori language. That was New Zealand language. He said, they're already racing an armored division up against you. As soon as they heard the language, and that's registered in the intelligence report as New Zealand language, the New Zealanders were there. Now, the, and he said, they're sending a patrol over tonight. I can tell you that. But we've got to get out. There's two Austrians. And... Um, Oh, yeah, I said, anyhow, the colonel's right. They come in tonight, make sure they don't go back. So they hit, they missed us, and they got the 25th battalion, which was alongside of us. And these fellows shot them up. He said, immediately they shot them up, up come the Red Cross, over. They said, well, we said, why don't you fellows stay? Whole lot of said, no, we better go back. So they took the wounded back. So that was the sort of, the Maori language was what they were going on all the time. That's how it was he said, look, they're not waiting there. And they only had to move night time, you see, because of air cover. And they're racing uh, what are called the Panzer Division up against the New Zealanders. In the next episode of Courage and Valour, we'll hear the stories of the New Zealand infantry as they crossed the Senio River in April 1945, starting the spring offensive in which they raced up to the top of Italy to the city of Trieste and war's end. In this episode, in order of appearance, you've heard Gordon Briggs, Ned Nolan, Nolan Rehania, Tipui Patara, Don Adams, Harry Shirley, Ted Waters, Ted Bluey Homewood, Harry Hopping, Bryn Hughes, Fred Priest, Charlie Honeycomb, and Norm Harris. Special thanks to the Tiawamutu Returned and Services Association, Richard Carstens, Harima Fraser, and the 28th Murray Battalion Association for their assistance in the making of this episode. This episode is dedicated to the memory of the late Harry Hopping. <laughs>